want to add my good morning. Welcome. So glad that you're here in Center Court West or over in Center Court East. So glad that you're here today. So I bet I wouldn't have to work very hard to convince any of you that our world is mighty focused these days on the externals like never before. People everywhere are propping their lives up, right? Pretending and promoting themselves as more and better than they really are. And it's not really social media's fault. I think at the core, our hearts have been trying to do this sort of propping up from the beginning. But social media has certainly exacerbated the situation with this spotlight syndrome where we sort of push out into the spotlight the best about our marriage, the best about our kids, the best about our success so that everybody can see that while we pull off stage back into the shadows, those things we'd rather not have anybody else see. And so, uh, The bumper sticker, I think, sums it up well when it says, may your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. (laughs) Now, while this is happening over here, on the other side, we have Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us, would you like for me to just bless your life, really? Like not superficially blessed, not pretend happy, but genuinely, robustly, abidingly, joyfully blessed in a way that's deep and doesn't change regardless of your circumstances. Which way would you like to pursue blessing? This way, the way of the kingdom of this world or the way of the kingdom of our Lord. This is what we've been talking about in this series that we're calling the Blessed Life series. We're learning what it means to really be a kingdom person and to move from, from being solely in this kingdom of earth to, to really being a full-on kingdom of God kind of person. Jesus spends the first several verses of the Sermon on the Mount talking about this very question. You want to get blessed? He says, I'll tell you eight qualities of the truly blessed life. I'll just give them to you. And they're called blessings or beatitudes. That's what we've been working through since the turn of the new year. Now, if you've just come in, maybe you just came in last week for Super Sunday and and you're back here today, I am so glad that you're here today because I think a case could be made that of all eight Beatitudes, this is the most important one of all. So you pick the perfect day to make your day to start in on this series. So... I'm going to read you the verse. It's not long. You'll have it memorized by the time we're done. And then I want to talk about it. It comes from Matthew 5, 8. Blessed blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what I want to try to do is look at this verse through three lenses, okay? First of all, 
I want to talk about what is a pure heart, because we got to get that straight. And then secondly, I want to talk about what difference does it make? And then thirdly, I want to talk about how do we get one? How do we get a pure heart? So if you're a note taker, that's where we're going. First of all, what does it mean to have a pure heart? You might do well to substitute a more familiar word for this term pure heart, because we don't use that term so much, but you'll be entirely safe if you stuck in the word there, integrity. That's a more familiar word. It's what Jesus was talking about here, the heart of integrity. By the way, you know where we get the word integrity. It's a derivative of this word integer. And you know, don't you remember from your math what an integer is? An integer is a whole number, not a fraction, a whole number. And so what Jesus is talking about is the integrated heart is a heart of integrity that is one unified whole self. It's not fragmented and separated off in different ways. It's the integrated, it's the heart of integrity. There's a consistency about this person. The problem with, I think, so many of us today is that we're living in such a fragmented, separated uh, way that our, our souls are becoming disintegrated. So that you got one part of your life over here that hardly knows what this part of your life is doing over there. And this is a problem. Think of it sort of like a pie, as if your life is like a, a big pie with slices of the pie throughout. In one slice of your pie, that's your career. That's your job life, right? Or another part of the pie would be your social life. That's another sliver. Or another part might be your, your uh, social life or your fitness life or your sports life or your sex life, or any number of a couple of other things. And then finally, if there's a little bit more space in there, if you got one more slice, we stick God and we say, that's my spiritual life right there. But I'll tell you what the problem with this way of looking at it is, is that if this is how your life is segmented, the various flavors of this slice and that slice and the next slice can become so unrelated that they're utterly disconnected from each other. And over time, you'll start to hide one of those slices. If not from other people, you're hiding it from God. <clears throat> to which God says, wait a second. <laughs> I didn't come into your life to live in a disintegrated heart. That's not what I came in to do. And I surely never came into your life to just be one little slice or one fraction of your soul. No, no. God says, if you're, if you're going to be mine, then I want all of your heart. I'm asking for all of your heart, not a fraction of it. Staying with the metaphor, it's as if God would say, I haven't come to be a sliver in your already pretty big pie. No, I came to be the crust underneath all of your pie. And if there's a slice or two in your life that you don't feel comfortable about me lying underneath and being a part of, then right there you've put your finger on the nub of what is impure 
in your heart. Though I've told this story to you uh, before, it's been three or four years as I looked back and it bears repeating again because I think it illustrates so nicely exactly what we're talking about and in a way that you can laugh with me or at me as I tell the story. So years ago when Suzanne and I had just got married and we were getting moved in and all settled, I remember that we were in the closet and she looked up to the high shelf in the closet and there was a box and she said, now what's in that big box? And I said, oh, you know, just junk really from all my life. I think there's some trophies from when I was a kid and some things from college and pictures, lots of pictures, 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 pictures. And she said, well, I want to see. Can I see? I said, yeah. So I brought the box down and set it on the ground and she reached in and she pulled out an envelope that had a rubber band around it. <clears throat> she took off the rubber band and she pulled out some photos and she found a common theme. It was a certain girl that had been a girlfriend some years <laughs> earlier. And she said, so what was her name? And I told her the name and here's where she's from. She was a nice gal and everything. And so she put those pictures back in the envelope, put the rubber band around them and then got the next envelope out and opened it up. And she said, okay, what's her name? And she said, wait a second, are you meaning to tell me that each of these envelopes is one of your girlfriends along the way and I said well you know that I'm organized and I couldn't think of any other way to do it along the way and she laughed just like you are laughing but then she said quite seriously wait a second I need you to know I haven't come into your life just to be the next packet of pictures in the box on the top shelf I said, well, I know that, of course not. We just got married. And she said, well, good, then I'm glad you know it and I'm glad we're on the same page there. So do you want to take the box out to the trash or do you want me to take the box out the trash? And so at that, I said, wait a second, I think you're overreacting. I think you're going a little bit far here. And she said, no, I am not. She said, I just married you and took on your name. I said, I think you're getting carried away. So she said, why did you call Pastor Dan? So I called Dan <laughs> and I said, what do you think of this? And he said, she's absolutely right, Ken. Of course you should throw them away because your new identity as a married man will never be formed clearly and authentically if in any fashion you're tempted to look at Suzanne as just another chapter in your scrapbook. Dan said, you can't treat her even just like number one among many others. No, now that you're married, she is the only one. And of course he was right and she was right. Should it surprise us then that God says, no less. He says, if you're going to follow me, then I want you to be wholly mine, completely mine. I didn't come in just for a sliver here and there if you have a few extra minutes. No. What is a pure heart? A heart that is integrated, that is brought together, that is made whole around him. 
That's a pure heart where we say, there's no area of my life, God, there's no area of my life that's off limits to you. There's no priority that's off limits to you, God. Where every part of our heart and our soul and our mind, our, our whole personality, incidentally, that is what the Bible, whenever it speaks of heart, it's talking about your heart and your soul and your mind, all of your personality. He says, I, I want the whole thing. That's what I came in to save. All of you. And that's what a pure heart is. That's the heart that's blessed. A heart that belongs wholly to him. And you say, well, okay, but what difference does it make anyhow? Why does it matter? Oh, I'll tell you. Actually, I'll tell you a negative reason giving you an illustration, and then I'll mention some positive reasons. Let's start with the negative. Several months ago, <clears throat> several of us gathered downtown around a friend who pastors a, la a large church in the heart of the city. His church had just been splashed on national news, but not for anything that you'd want your church to be on the news about. Turns out one of his associate pastors longtime friend and confidant, long-tenured and dearly loved in that church, apparently. He'd been embezzling money for years, hundreds of thousands of dollars for seven or eight years through a very sophisticated scheme where he was forging signatures so that money would be sent to non-existent ministries that he and only he was on the other end of. All told, that associate pastor apparently stole upwards of $800,000 over the year, years. <clears throat> and with it, he would take his family apparently on very nice trips and he wore some very nice clothes and, and he even used some of that money to help fund his, his doctorate that he went uh, back to school to earn. And all of this was going on for some seven or eight years until finally one day it crashed in on him. And there are all of the news cameras trained on him as he walked down the corridor with his hands cuffed and the news reporters hollering questions. And as I watched, I remember just my heart aching because I was thinking not just of him, not just of my pastor friend of that church and of that whole church that was in shock, surely. But I thought of his wife and of his young children who will never go home to dad being there for the number of years he's going to be in prison. They'll visit him there. I thought of this man's parents and the shock and shame they must surely be feeling as they're dying on the inside through all this. So back to the scene, several of us were sitting downtown just a day or two after all of this as our pastor friend, our senior pastor friend was just sharing openly, looked pale, looked worn out and fatigued, which of course he was because he'd been betrayed by this associate 
of his that he had trusted for years, whom he called a dear friend, shocked that such a dark plan could have been devised with such complexity as even to evade the normal checks and balances that a large church sets in place, including annual audits. He was fatigued by the rush of TV cameras and the media being there for reasons you don't ever want. And he was grieving the thought that some who are out and about always looking with skepticism for some reason to pick up a rock and throw it at Jesus would now have a big reason to pick up rocks and throw them at Jesus. And I remember him telling the five of us that were gathered around him, just feels like a terrible dream at which point he just lowered his head he started to cry with his hands over his head I was seated next to him and I just rolled my chair over and just put my big arm around him the others came around we just laid hands on him and and just prayed for him that God would strengthen him and fortify him and bring that great historic church through this that he would do a new work and the embezzler's heart of transformation and that he would take care of family in the midst of all of this and I talked to the senior pastor just last week about a different thing but he's doing fine I asked him he said we're coming through we're going to make it of course you are but that associate pastor what was happening inside of him understand first of all I don't know him I never have met him I'm told, though, that he's very talented, full of charisma, gifted. Clearly, he was trusted until he wasn't. But I'll tell you what was happening inside his heart. Inside one piece of his heart, the lights had gone dark. Impurity had been allowed to reside until it all came crashing in. Somewhere along the way, that man's heart became divided and segmented so that he was able actually to do apparently very good work in ministry while he had this going on at the same time. One part of his soul was hijacked by the enemy as greed had found its way into the forefront of this man's heart and lured him into a cycle. And again, I don't know him, never met him, and I'm not throwing stones at him. If anything, I I am just grieving for him and for his family and about this whole calamitous situation. But I have wondered any number of times as I've pondered it if maybe once or twice or six or dozen times or more, maybe he had said, this is the last time, this is the last time I'm doing this, not after today. Maybe not. Maybe he just had convinced himself, I deserve all of this. We don't know. But what we do know is the purity of heart makes all the difference. What difference does it make? All the difference in the world is the difference it makes because where there's impurity, it's only a matter of time till your house of cards comes crashing in around you. Now, I know, at least I believe probably that that hopefully none of you are stealing from your, your workplace. 
But I wonder, are you being entirely forthright and honest in your financial dealings with another person or other people or even with the IRS? Some of you, you're, you're not being honest with God. You're robbing God. And by that, I mean you just, you're not tithing. You haven't, some of you haven't ever tithed. You're still saying, hey, what's mine is mine. This is my section of the pie. I control this. And God says, that's not the way it works. For others of you, it may have nothing to do with money or greed. The thing about the devil is he knows exactly where your soft underbelly is. And so he'll come towards where your most greatest vulnerability is. For some of you, it's pornography. That's where it is for you. Because you've convinced yourself, you know what? Um, This sliver of the pie this little piece of the pie over here, it's my business. It's not affecting anybody else. This is just my little part of the pie. Don't kid yourself. It's only a matter of time. Do you really think, really, do you really think that you can fill your mind with those sorts of images and there's no constant, don't you think maybe that has something to do with the tension that you're feeling even now in your marriage? Who are you kidding? Maybe for others of you, it's not pornography, but maybe for others of you, it has something to do with a real person. Maybe it's a person in your neighborhood or a person uh, you know, in, in your workplace. And whenever you see him or wherever you see her, you just feel this little jolt of energy and you like when you bump into them or, or you get talking with them and you find yourself wanting to talk a little bit more. And you keep telling yourself, it's no big deal. There's nothing here. It's just, we're just friends. Do you really think that? Don't you see what's going on here? There's a portion of your life that is getting dis integrated. There's a portion of your soul where he is turning the lights down. It's only a matter of time. You can't kid yourselves, friend. As Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand the heart? Don't kid with yourself. Sin will always take you further than you ever meant to go. Sin will always keep you longer than you ever planned to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. The segmented heart is an impure heart and the impure heart is the root of hypocrisy. You know, by the way, where we get that word, it's interesting. The word hypocrisy, it comes from the ancient Greeks who, you know, they would do these one-act plays and the actor would have a mask that he wore out onto the stage when he was uh, doing one character and then he'd go back and he'd set the mask down, pick up another mask and he'd put that mask on to represent another character. And they called those actors hypocrites, from which we get the word Hypocrite, meaning I wear one mask with these people representing this person and I wear the next mask over here with those people. And don't you see, hypocrisy just comes out of this clandestine secrecy that has slipped into the impure 
heart. That's what's going on here, and it's exhausting because our hearts, we were not made to pretend, and that's what you're having to do if you're living with impurity in your heart. No wonder you're not going to feel blessed. How do you, re- do you really think that you can just be over here with these people saying, praise the Lord, when over here you're living like hell and not expect that those worlds aren't going to collide sooner or later? It's only a matter of time. Matthew 6, 24 said, no one can serve two masters. You know this because either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. So why are we forever tempted to divide ourselves away from God? Instead, giving our hearts to things like money, sex, power, I'll tell you why. Because somewhere along the way, the devil has convinced us that one of those things might just be better. A little bit better even than God. And there's a word for this, idolatry. That's what's going on here. And don't kid yourself, just because you don't have little stone or ivory or glass, little statues on your shelf at home in this day. And one of my sons said the other day, well, it's a good thing we don't live in a time where there's idols. I said, son, don't kid yourself. We make idols of everything. We can make idols out of the places that we live. We can make idols out of the things that we drive. We can make idols out of the money that we earn. We can idolize the people that we know. We can idolize the thought of our popularity or our fame or our success. On and on we can go because anytime anything is lifted up ahead of God, Anytime anything is allowed to bring you a little bit more energy, a little bit more comfort, a little bit more a sense of security than God, that thing just became an idol in your life. Don't kid yourself. You can't live a divided life and expect things to turn out well. This is why it matters. This is why it makes all the difference in the world. Now, that's the negative side. Let's flip it over and talk about the positive side. By contrast, the person who is a pure-hearted person, who's living with integrity, that person lives with the qualities of inner assurance and outward confidence. Over the years, I've talked and prayed with any number of people who have taken a journey from impurity, from sin and defeat in any number of areas of their life and have stepped into the light of Jesus Christ and have brought with them that impurity so they might be exposed and so that they might be liberated and healed from that. Some of you are even here right now that I've had conversations like this with. For some of you, it was infidelity in your marriage or maybe it was an addiction, maybe to alcohol or an addiction to some other sort of substance or pornography or something. Maybe for others, of you is greed or any number of other duplicitous schemes, certain things that you, you finally said by God's grace, I've got to get out of this. I've got to, to bring it into the light of Jesus Christ. And you confessed it. And, and through a series of, of events, you brought it into the exposure 
that comes from Jesus. And do you know the word that consistently runs through every one of these testimonies? The word that people use to describe it is freedom. They say, I just feel free, finally. Now that the cat's out of the bag, now that it's out into the open, I just feel this fabulous freedom because the pure in heart is the integrated, non-duplicitous, non-disintegrated heart. And that's a heart that feels free, free to walk in the assurance of God's love and God's blessing and free to live with others with the confidence that comes not from having to worry, is this the day I'm gonna get found out? Is this the way they're gonna, is this the day they're gonna discover what's really going on? I'm telling you, there's a freedom that comes from the pure heart. Like one guy who described it this way, he said, before I had really come in fully to Jesus, I had to always check the caller ID before I answered the phone. Why do you have to check the caller ID every time? because I had to get out in front of who was on the other line to remember what I had told them and what scheme or what lie um, I was in with them so that I could continue going down that path. And it just got overwhelming and exhausting and very complicated. He said, and the great thing now about having God in my life and having the transformed heart is I don't have to check the caller ID before I answer the phone anymore. Because what you see is what you get. The pure heart has nothing to explain, nothing to hide, nothing to defend. That's what I want for you, brothers and sisters. That's what I want for all of us. That's why it matters. Because only those who are pure in heart get to experience God. It's as if what Jesus was saying is, when you're pure in heart, you don't have to wait until someday when you cross into heaven to experience the goodness of God. No, those who are pure hearted, it's like you've lassoed heaven and dragged it into the presence and you get to experience the freedom and the grace and the liberation and the comfort and the assurance and the peace that surpasses all understanding of having God's face shine upon you here and now. That's what he's talking about when he says you're going to get blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart because they shall see God. That's what he's talking about. You'll see his presence alive and well in your life. That's why it matters. So let's get to the last thing. How do I get one? I would like a pure heart. How do I get one? Well, here you go. Try harder. Cuss less. Think purer thoughts. Be nicer. Do better. Is that it? No, that's not it. Thank God that's not it. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, all the major world religions would tell you in some shape, form, or fashion, that is it. And if that were truly the answer, we'd be hopeless. I don't want to 
take anything away about, from my Jewish friends or my Muslim friends or my friends who are involved in several other religions, nothing against any of them, but if all you could give me in my quest to have the freedom that comes with a pure heart, if all you could give me was a list of more things that I had better do, that I'd better try harder at, that I'd better get right, I could see why it would be so easy to say, I quit on religion. Purity of heart never comes through outward conformity to a set of rules. Now, there's only two kinds of religion, really. The religion of earning it, which every major world religion falls into, except one, and that's Jesus the religion of receiving it, the religion that understands you can't earn it. You're not that good, you never will be that good, no matter how hard you roll up your sleeves and try. Ours is about receiving it. And it's for this reason that our great God had mercy upon us and our sordid state of impure hearts. And he said, I'm going to come and do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. So Jesus says, come to me, for I will give you a new heart, and I'll put in you a new spirit. I'll take out from you your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. That, friends, is the good news. That's the gospel of the Christian faith. The reality that we could never achieve it on our own anyhow, but we don't have to. And that's why Jesus came, to live the life for us of sinlessness that we couldn't live for ourselves, to die the death for us of punishment that all of us deserved, and to rise victoriously for us, signifying if we would tether ourselves to him by faith that we too might have new life through a pure heart. Instead of moving away from us, he moved towards us. And that's the great exchange. In other words, he's saying, since I've given my life for you, if you'll surrender your life to me, I'll put a new heart inside of you. Your heart of darkness, you hand that to me and I'll install a new heart. What a trade. Now many of you, you've made that trade. You have trusted in Christ before, but I know what you're thinking. Even now while I'm talking, some of you right now, you're thinking, but I still have a sliver of my heart that is dark. I know what it is. It's even been on my mind while you've been talking this morning. And you're even maybe wondering, so does that mean that Christ never came into my life? It could mean that, but I doubt that's probably what it means. I have a sneaking suspicion. It's more likely that after you trust in Christ, trusted in Christ, you became a passive bystander. And that's the problem with a lot of American Christians. We've just become passive bystanders. As if once we call, cross the threshold of faith, the enemy of our souls just says, well, 
we lost that one to the good side. No, the enemy of our soul doesn't do that. He comes after us all the more once we've stepped into the faith that comes through Jesus Christ. The purer the heart, the fiercer the enemy's attacks are gonna be on us. The best fruit in the garden is always the first fruit to be infested with the insects. The pure heart is always his target. But for this, we have Jesus. And so I wonder, have you slipped back into impurity? I want you to deal with it today. I don't want you to leave today just saying, well, I'm just going to try to put that out of my mind because I've got to keep this thing going. No. I think God brought you here. Even, I, even some of you, if you're honest, you would say, you know, I was even thinking maybe I won't go today, but I decided, well, I'm going to go today after all. I think he brought you here for this purpose, that you'd be honest with him and transparent and that you'd let him do some heart surgery inside of you and restore you and to infuse his grace into you. The good news, friends, is that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And after that, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't believe he has enough grace for you? Some of you right now, you're like, yeah, you don't know what I've gotten myself into. Why don't you tell that? Go back in time and tell that to Noah. Go back in time and tell that to Moses or Abraham. Go back in time and tell that to King David after his adultery and after his murderous scheme. Uh, go back in time and tell that to the Apostle Paul who had killed the Christians. Go back in time and tell that to any number of people and they'll all smile at you and say, trust us, trust us. There is more than enough grace for you, but you have to step into it. Don't listen to the enemy of your soul saying, keep this thing dark. Don't do it. Step into the light and let him transform your heart today. See, the good news is this, friends. It's not about your perfection. It's about your direction. God never called us to have a perfect heart. We'll never have, not shy of heaven, we'll never have a perfect heart. It's not about your heart's perfection, but it is about your heart's direction, the trajectory that it's your heart moving towards God. Even in the aftermath of sin, are you quick to confess it and to go back before the Lord? Even as King David was, who said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me after his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. You say, okay, that's good, but what more could I do to sort of keep my soul sustained, to, to keep it running right? Well, I feel a bit like a broken record, but I'm going to say some things that you've heard any number of times up here. But unless you're living them out, practicing, utilizing them, they're, they're tools in the box that you're, that you're missing out on. One is the power of Bible, of God's word. Do you, are you reading God's word daily? Are you spending any moments in devotion, ta- uh, letting his word soak into your soul? See, a bath or a shower can do a lot of good for you, but not until you get in. 
And the Bible will do a lot of good for you, but not until you read it. If you're not metabolizing it, you're not getting the benefit of it. And what about prayer? Any number of you, if you've subtracted out your time of, of, of being in here in worship this month, your prayer life is non-existent. He said, but I, I, I offer this, this relationship where we can talk, and where you can commune, and I, I like to write my prayers, and then I can go back and read the things that I'm feeling like he's prompted me to do or say. It's a relationship that he's offering, or fellowship. I can't, none of the times we've surely said over the years, are you in a small group community? What good would that do? I'll tell you what good. What good it'll do is if you're by yourself, you are a prime target for the enemy. If he can get you singled out, he'll get you picked off. You're easy pickings. There's something fortifying though about gathering with some other brothers and some other sisters each week to remind ourselves, oh yeah, I, I, now I remember who I am. I know who I am in Christ is coming back to me. How could I have wandered off from that? There's power in that kind of fellowship. And there's power in the, in the worship and just coming into this place and letting him work in our midst, even as he's doing today. Are you using those tools? They're, they're there for you. But sort of like oil at the Jiffy Lube, it's worthless if you don't ever do anything for your car. And no wonder it's finally going to just not be doing so well on the inside. It takes some, some ongoing maintenance. Now let me tell you what we're going to do in our final minutes. We're going to have a, a different kind of experience than normally. It's not exactly communion because you're not going to eat any bread or cup, uh, grape juice. And it's not exactly baptism. It's something in between. I, I noticed as I was studying this interesting thing. You look in scripture and in Old Testament and New Testament, you see this coupling that recurs you see it in Psalm 5, I think it is. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. Huh, clean hands, pure heart. You go over in the New Testament, James, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. Hands heart. So that got me wondering, why is there this coupling of the hand and the heart? I think the best answer I've been able to come up with is this. Because you will never maintain a pure heart before the Lord if your hands are involved in sin and depravity. And so what we're going to do in the next few moments is give you a moment to, to come as if you were coming to communion. And there's gonna be servers up at the front in both rooms. We're doing this, Court East and Court West. And, and what you'll do is you'll just come before that server and you'll just put your hand over the basin like this. And what they're gonna do is they're just gonna pour a, a little bit of water onto your hands. They can't pour a whole lot or else we run out of water. <laughs> and we can't pour it on your hearts because we can't get to that but we can do it with the hands. And then after that, you'll take 
uh, one of the towels and you can dry. And then I'm gonna invite you not to rush on, but to linger in this moment as you feel the splash of that water hit your hands. Some of you, this is the day that you're gonna say yes to Jesus, maybe for the very first time. You're like, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm giving my heart over to you today. I want you to come in by the power of your Holy Spirit. I want you to transform my heart. Give me a new heart. Many of you, you're like, that's not me. I've already trusted, I've done that. But you're gonna come bringing whatever slice of your pie that you've been holding back. And when you feel the splash of that water, you're gonna bring that honestly before the Lord. And then I'm gonna challenge you, don't just go out having only done business with God, but any number of you, you're gonna to need to do something even today. You're gonna to need to call somebody, you're gonna to need to write somebody, you're gonna to need to get it out into the open because the enemy, he, oh, he's not liking what we're doing today. And he's gonna to try to get you right back into the darkness as soon as he can. But by God's grace, we're not going there. Why? Because the pure in heart are the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who shall see God. You can kneel on the steps in front, both rooms. Lots of people in the first service just spent time in prayer. If you need a prayer partner, there's some prayer partners up there and you motion, they'll be glad to come and pray with you or you just pray by yourself. Or if you wanna just go back to your seat, you can pray back in your seat. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, let's not just go beating a path to the barn. Let's, let's really linger in this moment for a few minutes. Sydney's gonna be leading us in worship uh, in this room and Lizzie's gonna be leading us on the east side. We'll enter into the songs and we're gonna linger in this moment just a few uh, until everybody's had a chance to have this, this moment with God. And then at the end, I'll dismiss us in this room and Kyle will dismiss you in the east side. All right, let's pray together. Now, God, we're asking that you would come and that you would meet with us in this different kind of sacrament, this different kind of sacred moment. I pray, God, that you would do a new thing. My hope is that there wouldn't be a person here who leaves today lacking a pure heart, lacking the full blessing that you wanna pour out upon us. Won't you meet with us now? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.